So I want to start with a question, and actually, Mike, see if we can get some responses to it, um, if you have any initial thoughts. But uh, I'm going to ask him, good morning to everyone on Zoom, by the way. Um, before we get into the actual section of Acts that I'm going to talk about, I want to ask a question, and that is a simple kind of word association question, which is, what comes to mind for you when you think about the word flourishing? When I say the word flourishing, what, what comes to mind? Initial thoughts out loud. Anyone? Flowers. Flowers. Okay. <laughs> Plants. Yeah. Good. What else? Flourishing. Living really well. Living well. Someone else said something. Life. Life. Growing. Growing. Yes. Any others? This is all good. Any other thoughts? One. We'll take one more. Word association. Flourishing. Shalom. Okay. Oh, look at you getting all. Bible on us. There it is. <laughs> no, it's great. So uh, the word flourishing is a big theme uh, for me with this story that we're going to look at. It's a big, big idea from the text. So go ahead and go to the next slide, uh, James, because this is where our story starts is with this short verse at the end of chapter 12 of Acts. We've been stepping through Acts uh, for several months now, and we're going to pick up the next story. We're going to spend more of our time in chapter 13, but I wanted to focus on this verse first. This is the end of chapter 12. This comes off the heels of what Ken talked about last week. So if you haven't heard that, um, you can definitely listen to it on our website. But in the midst of all that was happening in the story last week that Ken talked to us about, which was very tumultuous, a lot, a lot of things were shifting around and changing, there's this short verse. I want to spend a minute on this because it, there's a lot in here that has really grabbed my heart this week. And it says this in the NIV. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. This is how the NIV translates it. Different English translations use slightly different words. But I want to talk about these few words momentarily. Um, first, the word of God, the logos of God. This is talking about what's happening in this early community of Jesus followers, the earliest Christians in the ancient Near Eastern section of the world. It says, in the midst of all this uh, tumultuous happenings, this is what's happening. The word of God is spreading and flourishing. And the word logos of God, that doesn't just mean words about God. That doesn't mean they were just talking about God and having a fun doing it. That mean, This means something much deeper. The word, the Greek word for word there is logos. And some of you, maybe if you've grown up in church, you've heard sermons about logos before. This is a pretty weight, weighty word. The Greeks, the Greek philosophers believe that the logos was kind of the universal binding reason of the cosmos, you know. Um, John, the Gospel of John, says it was the Logos that incarnated and became flesh in Jesus, right? So the Logos of God, you might think of it, I feel like I'm a little loud in the room, by the way. I don't know, maybe I can come down a little bit, feel a little ringy. Um, the Logos of God is the, the truth of God, the bigness of God, the, the, the full knowledge, the full understanding, the full experience of God. It's not just words about God. It is the truth, the word Logos of God. It's something weighty. It's something big. It's something significant. And it is that thing, that Logos, that is what is spreading and flourishing in this community in the midst of all this tumultuous activity. And that's what I want. I want to talk about those other two words there. I put the Greek words there in the parentheses for those of you who are interested in that kind of thing. But it says that the word, this logos of God, this truth of God, which I'll say more about what that is, but the truth of God 
continued to both spread and flourish. The word for spread is playthino. Everyone say playthino. Playthino, it's a fun word. Uh, Playthino simply indicates multiplying. It simply indicates adding. Some other English translations say it it gained adherence. It gained more followers. It's this um, duplicating, reproducing, multiplying growth. So the, the Lagos of God is growing out to new people. And also it is flourishing. It is auxenoing which is the Greek word there. And that, I'm glad someone mentioned uh, flowers and plants because the word auxeno in the Greek is most, well, is very frequently used in the New Testament whenever Jesus used parables that involved plants. When he, you can probably think of some famous ones if you're familiar, whenever he talked about um, plants being sown or used uh, images of gardeners and farmers, anytime that plants grew, he used the word auxeno. So this is referring to, uh, a, a real um, growth in strength, a growth in depth, a growth in um, becoming more robust, more healthy, more vibrant. So the Lagos, what we see here, and I'm spending a few minutes on this because this is going to root root us, no pun intended, root us in what I want to talk about next. But in the in this early Christian community, in the midst of a lot of ups and downs, the Lagos, the full knowing, the full truth of God is growing out to new people and growing in depth and strength within the community itself. Both are happening at the same time. A lot of times that I run into, I ran into this a lot when I was um, working uh, on college campuses. A lot of times we can easily force a dichotomy between growing out and growing in depth, right? We think that we want, we need to do one or the other, or we focus on one at the expense of the other. I think this verse shows us that that's a false split that when the word is flourishing when the word, when the truth, when the logos of God is flourishing in a community, both happen. Growth in numbers, growth in outwardness, and growth in depth. And so, go ahead and go to the next slide. This is my big question for this morning. What does this then look like? It's one thing to just say it. It's one thing to say, yeah, the, the word is flourishing. Yes, this community is flourishing on God's truth. But what does it look like? What happens how would we know if we're a flourishing community? How would we know if we're a community that is flourishing on God's truth, God's logos? So that's my, my driving question this morning. What does it look like when a community is flourishing on God's truth, on God's word, on God's logos? And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about. I want to explore three uh, different dimensions of this flourishing. So, we're going to look, uh, keep that up on the slide here for a minute, James. I'll tell you when to go to the next one. Um, we're going to look at Acts chapter 13 now, just a, just a short little story at the beginning of the chapter. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it, because I want to read the first few verses of it. Coming out of this verse, talking about the flourishing of God's word, we're going to learn about uh, one of Saul's first journeys. Saul, who was converted in chapter 9, which we talked about, I think, over a month ago at this point. Picking up in verse 1 of chapter 13, it says, Now in the church at Antioch, which Antioch is kind of becoming the home base church. It's the first place that Christians were called Christians, actually. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. For the work to which I have called them. 
So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Pause on that. The first of these three dimensions of flourishing I want to explore this morning is that a flourishing community hears from God together. It seems really simple, right? But if you look at these first three verses, we have five, in this case, men, five men who are named as prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menaean, and Saul. And there's a whole tangent. I was tempted to go on about the diversity of this group because we have Jewish names. We have Roman names. We have someone from Africa. We have uh, someone who's wealthy. That's the reference to Herod, the Tetrarch. So there's class diversity and cultural diversity uh, and education. Like this is a really fascinating little group of five men. Um, But the point here, I think that one of the fundamental points here is that they hear from God together, and I think that marks what this flourishing life looks like as a community. All of the pronouns in these first few verses are plural. They fast together. They pray together. They lay hands together. They seek God's wisdom and God's next steps together. No one does anything alone. We are so, so culturally, um, I almost want to say indoctrinated. I don't know if that's too strong of a word, but we are so culturally prepared to individualize everything. I don't know about you, but I grew up picturing Paul as a lone, you know, missionary who would go out by himself to all these places and plant these churches. Um, Paul didn't write a single of his letters alone. He lists his co-authors in all of his letters, right? Um, So often when we hear in the West, especially in kind of the individual, rugged individualistic America, we hear sermons and we hear inspirational talks and then we walk away thinking, okay, how can I do this better? What can I do to internalize this? How can I grow? How can I improve? Um, I, 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 right? And now listen, there's a place for the individual. God sees every individual person. God sees you as an individual, but God wants you to be part of a flourishing community of people together. So I think the question is, if we, and I know we, Monsieur Day, I know we want to be a community that flourishes in God's truth. I know we do. I know enough of us, I know enough of you in the room and enough of you in the Zoom call to know that we want to do this together. And I think one of the first things to pay attention to in this story is that we should seek to hear from God together. How do we hear from God together? How do we pray fast together? It's really fascinating. Um, I want to move on to my second point here, but I just want to note that the leadership team met this past week on Wednesday night, and one of the things that came up in our conversation is there's a sense on that team of a longing for more spaces for corporate prayer in our church together. It's something we feel that might be lacking in our life as a community right now. Um, and so, uh, like Emily Droge has been leading some prayer time on the, the hill up, up the hill from us uh, on Sunday mornings, which is one great example of a space for that. But we were really thinking about what is it, what might it look like to encourage that more? So just know that that's on the heart of the leadership team. And I think that there's, I think God is doing something in this to stoke a longing for communal prayer, communal hearing together from the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this is the first aspect of flourishing that we see in this story is a flourishing community hears from God together. But moving on from that, this is really the heart of the what happens next. Um, it sounds a little less positive, but I think it's important to pay attention to because I think a flourishing community encounters opposition. A flourishing community encounters opposition. And that's what we're going to see happen next. So go ahead and go to the next slide, James, if you would. I have a map here. I think this can be helpful to visualize what's going on. But if you look I'm going to walk actually over to the screen here. Um, 
you see where Antioch is? Jerusalem is south of here, so it's actually not on the map. We kind of think of Jerusalem as one of the main cities. Um, but Antioch becomes a major hub. And actually, Antioch becomes what is basically going to be Paul's kind of home base that he returns to for about 10 years. Um, and so what's happening in this map here is you can see out of Antioch, you can see where uh, Paul and Barnabas, again, not individual, Paul was not alone, traveled to Cyprus, right? Cyprus is an island. My dad has actually been to Cyprus. I've never been there before. I'd love to see it someday. Um, but what happens, I'm summarizing the story as opposed to reading the whole thing. Um, it's only 12 verses. You can read the whole thing on your own very quickly. But Paul and Barnabas travel to Cyprus, and it says they land here at Salamis, and then they travel on the eastern side of the island. They travel the western, to the western side of Paphos. And basically what happens is over the course of their travels across the island, they go to Jewish synagogues, and they talk about Jesus in the synagogue. So they just start talking about who they know Jesus to be as the Messiah. And they, as they travel the island, apparently their reputation grows. And by the time they get to Paphos, they get called to speak to the proconsul of the island, Sergius Paulus. I know I'm going through this quickly, but essentially the proconsul is basically a governor, governor of the entire island of Cyprus. So imagine this. It would be something akin to some speaker, some thinker, some, I don't know, philosopher, religious expert comes to Portland, starts speaking in different communities. And over the course of building up a reputation, our mayor, Kate Snyder, let's say, calls this person and says, hey, I'd like you to come to City Hall and share what you've been talking about to the town council and to me at our next meeting. That's kind of what's happening here, right? Um, it's someone getting an interesting reputation, and then the governor of the island, appointed there by Rome, the Roman Empire, calls Saul and Barnabas to the court to, to hear about it. There's real openness there, it, sound, it seems like. But, and here's where they encounter opposition. They get to the court of Sergius Paulus, who actually we know from archaeological evidence was actually the governor of Cyprus from about 45 to 47 AD. Um, he goes to the court, and there's this certain Jewish magician, miracle worker, philosopher, prophet figure. We don't know much about him, but there's this, importantly, he's Jewish, this Jewish figure named Bar-Jesus. Bar just means son of. Who is in the court and is actually encouraging the proconsul Sergius Paulus not to listen to these men. So you have this Jewish figure in the court, which would not have been unusual for someone in a governorship in Rome, which is a very multicultural empire. It was very common in the court to, uh, to have figures that represented different religions and different lifestyles and different cultures in your court, right? So there's this Jewish figure in the court who is standing in the way of Paul and Barnabas speaking to the proconsul. To extend my metaphor from a minute ago, it'd be like, let's say a Christian thinker, Christian speaker got called to City Hall here in Portland, and there was a pastor on the town council who was encouraging Mayor Snyder to actually not let, not let that person speak. It's something kind of like that. So there's someone who's standing directly in the way of Paul and, Barnab of Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas, sharing the gospel to Sergius Paulus in Cyprus. All right, so that's, that's the story. I just kind of summed it up. But the point I want to draw out of this, and you can actually take that, um, you can take the slide down now, James. The point I want to emphasize here is that out of the flourishing community, out of which Paul and Barnabas were sent, in which they heard from God together, they now encounter opposition. And opposition is only encountered when the gospel, when the, when the gospel is moving out into new territory. 
as Paul and Barnabas go, as Paul and Barnabas are sent by the flourishing community of which they are a part, they encounter opposition, which is also a sign of the flourishing of the community. Opposition is encountered when a community is, when, when a community is feasting on God's word and is flourishing in what that means, and they, they extend that word out because they want other people to know about it. They want other people to know about God's love and grace and God's saving plan. Then the opposition is encountered. So opposition is surely a sign of a community flourishing on God's logos. And I want to frame this opposition up carefully. Because I don't believe Paul and Barnabas were going and looking for opposition. This is a real, I think this is really important. There's certain ways that we can frame up evangelism or, um, or yeah, evangelistic, evangelistic activities as though we go look for fights. <laughs> that, I don't think that is what Paul and Barnabas are doing, and I don't think that's what they think they should have been doing. They were not looking for opposition. They were looking for opportunities to share. That was the primary focus was where can we speak? In this case, they went to Jewish synagogues. They were looking for opportunities to proclaim Jesus as the Messiah for the world. But opposition uh, was a backlash to that. And it's not the first time. As we go through Acts, we're going to look at a lot of examples of opposition. But my point here is to prioritize the opportunity and to not be surprised when opposition arises as a result. We should not, if we seek to be a flourishing community, we should not be surprised by the presence of opposition. Because I believe, and this is kind of zooming way out for a second, stop and, stop and think about this. As Christians, we believe, we proclaim that we are in a world that is subjected to principalities and powers and corrupted by sin, and that humans actually can't free our world from that state. That's, what, that's a big, big part of what we believe about the world as Christians. We believe that the world is subjected but we also believe that there is one who is saving and has overthrown those principalities and powers. And so as we go into a world subjected by the principalities and powers and we proclaim victory over them, of course, there is going to be backlash and opposition to that. As we proclaim freedom from sin and victory over principalities, it shouldn't surprise us that those forces, sin and the principalities themselves, react to that news. And Saul shows us in his in his confrontation of Bar-Jesus, or Elymas, which was his Greek name, Saul shows us what it looks like to have utter confidence in the face of that opposition. He rebukes the magician. He rebukes this Jewish magician, says that he is perverting truth and standing in the way of truth, and then this man is blinded. That's what the text tells us. We don't know what happened after that. We know Saul was blinded, which is kind of an interesting echo to Saul's own journey. We know Saul was blinded. We, we don't know if this man ever recovered from that. We, we just don't know. But Paul was utterly confident that this man was standing in the way of the, the confident proclamation of the truth of Jesus, of God's logos, God's saving plan for the world, and he rebuked him. So a flourishing community hears from God together. A flourishing community encounters opposition. And then this last thing that I want to talk about this morning is that a flourishing community invites belief. Verse 12 of chapter 13, it says, the proconsul Sergius Paulus, after this confrontation with the magician, and he's blinded, it says the proconsul believed. The proconsul believed. Apparently, he became a follower of Jesus. 
for he was astonished about the teaching of the Lord. It doesn't say he was astonished about the fact that Paul blinded his magician. It doesn't say that. It says he was astonished by the teaching of the Lord, and he believed. And I, I really, really think that the belief of a man like Sergius Paulus, the, 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 the conversion, the belief, the renewal, however, whatever word you want to, however you want to think about that, the belief of this significant political figure, I mean, again, keep, if it helps you, keep imagining it as being in City Hall and our mayor. Imagine our mayor becomes a Christian. You know, imagine our mayor, someone's, someone shows up to City Council, this Christian pastor on city council tries to convince the mayor not to listen. The, this person rebukes the person on city council. They become blind. And then the mayor says, oh, my word, I want to be a Christian. You know, like this is kind of what's happening. It's pretty bonkers if you really imagine it. Um, but the belief, the focus is not so much on the, the sign in this case, the blindness, the rebuke. The focus um, shifts to the belief, the responding belief. And I think that the belief of the proconsul is a sign that the true logos had gone out. The true word had gone out. And belief, in this case, was a response. True belief. Now, I want to say really carefully, as I get to the end here, the proclamation of the word, the proclamation of what God has done and what God is doing, that does not always result in belief. It's not a vending machine situation right you can't you can't make this a formula you can't make this a quantitative thing that if i just say these right words and trust me i've given <laughs> i've given enough talks that have i think uh landed with the dud um and i've heard and i've given talks that i didn't think were good that did lands you know like it's just a mystery right so we can't boil this down to a uh you know plug and chug method here but but i do believe that um belief is always invited when the gospel is faithfully proclaimed. Belief is always invited. And I think that there's a deep theological principle behind this because we believe that we follow a God who is always inviting belief. God is always inviting us. God is always inviting belief on on, on behalf of the world. And as we seek to be a community that has responded to that belief, we become people who extend that invitation out beyond us. And this gets us back to that plethino, spreading, that multiplying, that adding. As ones who have responded yes to God's invitation, we become ones who extend it out to others. I'm going to end on this um, quick, quick little anecdote here. Because if a flourishing community invites belief, we we will exist in a world of competing belief invitations, competing claims to belief. I'm going to give an example to flesh out what I mean by that. Because I think something that happens is very frequently in Christian communities, churches, whatever, um, you can hear talks about evangelism, you can hear talks about giving invitations, and it can be a little um, intimidating it can be a little difficult to think about how do we go do this? Um, how do we actually, how do we make these invitations well? But once I found myself at an event, I used to be an adjunct uh, instructor at SMCC down in South Portland. <clears throat> and so um, I got invited to an event for specifically for adjunct instructors. Um, it was a dinner. So I went to this dinner, I sat down. And actually, I found out over the course of dinner, I was actually at the wrong place. <laughs> um, 
I was still at an adjunct event, but I was not at the event I thought I was at. It was very confusing. Um, regardless, though, at the, over the course of this dinner, I was sitting down, I was listening to what was going on, and um, I, I gradually pieced together what was happening at this event. I, was, I found myself at an event that was um, for the adjunct teachers union, right? Um, and so there were presentations that were being given on behalf of joining, joining the union. Here's the benefits to joining the union. Here's why you should do it. Um, and I realized, oh my word, I'm sitting in a recruitment dinner. Like, you know, I guess it was free food, so that was good. But I just did not, I wasn't intending to join the union. I had no interest in, but I, I, I was, regardless, I was there. But the point is, is that over the course of dinner, the, the pitch got dialed up and up and up and up. Maybe some of you have been in situations like this. You want to see maybe been in a timeshare tour or something like that. The pitch gets dialed up, the pressure gets dialed up. And then at the end, someone went up front on behalf of the teachers union and said, does anyone here want to join the teachers union right now? If you do stand up at your chair and publicly declare your commitment and I'll come around to you with a commitment card. And I thought, oh my word, I am in an altar call. I am, I am watching an altar call happen. If you grew up in church or grew up with certain strands of uh, traditions of church, you know what an altar call is. It's a call to response, a public call to response. I just thought I'm, I'm watching this happen in a totally different context, but it's the same. It's kind of the same thing. My point is, and I, I could tell other stories. That's a little bit of a silly one, but um, I used to work in college administration as well. And I've been in rooms that were about diversity training or cultural awareness training, which calls to response were given at the end, you know, stand up. If you commit to this, come to the front. If you commit to this, be on the team. Um, I could tell lots of stories and maybe some examples are coming up for you right now of things that you've been involved with that have looked the same. But my point here is that we live in a world that is full of competing truth claims, competing invitations, competing groups, competing calls to commitment, competing invitations to belief, sign up for the team, sign up for the cause, right? We need not be embarrassed that we too are calling people to believe in something, as Christians, that we are being, we are, we exist and call people to give their lives to something. We do. Lots of other people do that too. And we are another example of that, but we believe that we have, we are flourishing on God's truth and logos for the entire cosmos. We're not just calling people to a teacher's union. We're calling people to life, to flourishing, to freedom, to victory over the principalities and sins that hold them captive that's been accomplished through god's messiah through his life death and resurrection that's what we call people to and we should not be embarrassed that we call people to faith in that just like we see in saul and barnabas as one example, but this is, this is all over the book of Acts. People are sent out, people call belief, people encounter opposition. It's just the life of the church. Go ahead and go to the next slide, James. This is my last, my last slide, I think. When God's truth is flourishing in God's people, in God's community, we hear from God together, we encounter opposition together, and belief is invited these things, I really believe, as we see in the book of Acts, these things mark us. They will mark us as we flourish, as God's logos flourishes in and through us. This is what it looks like. So my prayer for us is that maybe we might be a community marked by this. That we would be so gripped by the salvation 
saving logos of God in Jesus Christ, his son, that we'd be so gripped by that, that we would invite others to be so gripped, that we would not be surprised if opposition is encountered, and that we would hear from God together on how to live this out in our time right now in the midst of a pandemic. Let me pray for us. I'm going to transition to communion. Lord, thank you for, well, thank you for Saul and Barnabas. Thank you for their diligence, their co-laboring in the gospel. Thank you for Luke for recording these stories and these words that we might look at them even today, thousands of years later. Lord, I pray that you would do your saving work amongst us for our friends who are at home right now on the Zoom call, for those of us here in this room. I pray that we would seek to hear from you together. We would not be surprised when opposition is encountered and that we would extend invitations to belief. Lord, may we see more and more people in our city come to belief in, in you and who you are, what you're accomplishing and what you're doing. I pray that we would be marked by these things, just like the church in Antioch was, Lord. Show us where you're working. Show us how to follow. May we be more and more gripped by your logos, by the saving truth of your son, Jesus. Pray this in the name of your Father, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Doug is going to come around and bring communion to you. Um, as usual, I'd ask you to wait to open your cup until um, everyone has received one. But I encourage you to, as you re- as you take the, uh, as you receive the cup, I encourage you to, I encourage you to uh, think about the logos of God. Think about the Logos that has incarnated into the man Jesus. Because this cup represents his broken flesh and his spilled blood. It represents, it points to the Logos who came amongst us. So go ahead and take take the cup. And those of you who are at home, Zoom, you may take your elements at this point now too. Open the cup, take out the wafer, dip it in the juice and receive it in remembrance of the one who walked towards the cross and then walked out of the tomb. Let me pray for us, and then um, Doug is going to share some few announcements in, in our benediction together, and then you'll get an invitation to a breakout room on Zoom. Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness of your son. Thank you for the cross and the resurrection and the life that is available to us through it. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>